You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Authorized to Duplicate, recorded on September 22, 2019. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. If you're a first-time guest, welcome. My name is Mike, and you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, verse 21, if you're using paper or electronic. It's still the same place. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. Um, so I've been out, out, outside a lot this weekend, and I even got to go to a, a brand new place. We're looking for a, a new place for next year's women's retreat and found a glorious place. I'm not going to tell you anything about that because it's not time for that, but what I was thinking about is just how beautiful it is in Pennsylvania when there's nice weather and how the leaves are about to turn and it's going to be perfect just in time for our men's retreat, and I'm personally looking forward to retreating. Our theme is Fishers of Men. Now, um, I hope you'll sign up, but that's not why I'm mentioning it. We stole that theme. You might not know that. We didn't come up with that ourselves. We stole it from Mark chapter 1, and in our last, our last uh, sermon, in the last text we looked at, Jesus was beginning his ministry. He stopped by the fisherman's employee area, and he recruited four men, um, Peter and, his, and Simon, he's called also Simon, his brother Andrew, and James and John, and the four were friends, and they were uh, co-workers, and he, he recruited them with a line, um, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they, I'm sure they didn't follow him because he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I don't think it was the mission that caused them to follow him. And perhaps that's a good lesson for us. We should not follow Christ because of the mission he gives us. Um, But they followed him because he was him and they were enamored with him. No question about it. But he did say, come on, come on, gentlemen, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Well, it's not good to cut that off. I, I think the very thing that Mark wants us to see is they went fishing right away. And so we're, we're going to look in on their first fishing expedition. Um, they're following Jesus, and now he's going to take them fishing. And we're going to see what bait he uses <laughs> and how he catches men. Uh, and this would be men, women, boys, and girls. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 21 to 34 and they, that would be those four of them, and Jesus at least, went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, which is Saturday for them, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. A little geography for you if you think of the nation of Israel. Um, think north to south. Uh, don't worry too much about east and west. You can a little bit, but mostly think north and south. South is the, the, the most important area. It'd be like the Washington, D.C. for them. That's where Jerusalem is. It's where the important people live, and it's where most of whatever is Israel happens. However, there is a lot of Jews live up in the northern area. That's often called the region of Galilee, and that's where Jesus is starting his ministry. In fact, Capernaum is, 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 is kind of going to be their, their headquarters. It's a, it's, a, it's a fishing town, but it's not just a fishing town. It, 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 that's one way to make a living. There's a lot of northern traffic up there, a lot of trade up there. And so out of all the little towns in Galilee, Capernaum is an important one 
right on the top of the Sea of Galilee. So if you're ever looking at the last book of the Bible, no, not Revelations. If you look in a paper Bible, the last book is Maps. <laughs> okay, bad Bible joke. But in any case, if you look at the book of Maps, <laughs> you'll see Capernaum is right there at the top of the Sea of Galilee. And, and that's where Jesus does a, most of his ministry in the four Gospels is really... He's home base. This is his headquarters. His headquarters is not Nazareth where he's from, but it's, it's really Capernaum. Why? I don't know. That's where he chose. Maybe because his first four guys came from there. Actually, his first five guys came from there. Sounds like a burger place. One of them was um, a guy named Levi or Matthew, and he's going to show up next week. So that's where he is. Now, the northern area tends to be more what we would think of as rural Right Now, rural for us means fewer people. Rural in a, in a place where you don't have tractors often is very well populated um, because all the, all the farming is done by hand. But, so it's the rural area. It's the country. Um, uh, this would be like comparing, say, Indiana or Catanning or maybe Butler. Butler could be Capernaum because it's bigger. <laughs> uh, to Pittsburgh, right? Pittsburgh is the big town. Now, if, if you were born and raised in, in the city of Pittsburgh or in Washington, D.C., you tend to have a certain culture. And if you were born and raised up here in western Pennsylvania, north of that, you have a certain culture. And it was the same then. Uh, the, the Galilean people tended to be more earthy, more patriotic, uh, more, more fundamentalist in their religion, more or often very capable people, obviously agricultural people. There's some misconceptions about them uh, that are misconceptions about all rural people, that they were stupid people, uneducated people, not necessarily uneducated, um, and that they were rough people. They, they did have a reputation of being fighters and ruffians, but they were just regular folks that you might meet at the tractor supply. And they were given away in their place, just like we can be given away in America by their accents, by their country talk, if you will. And so that's just a little quick ge- geographical lesson for that area where most of Jesus' ministry happens. Um, so the very first place they go is the synagogue. When you think synagogue, really do think local church. That's the best picture we have of local church. It's not the same as the temple. Uh, temple will be in some other sermon, but synagogues are the local churches, and, and though they may be in use for various things all week, Saturday is their big day, just like Sunday is, is generally the big day for Christian churches, and, and that's where Jesus goes to begin fishing. And how does he begin? He teaches. Verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. So the people in the synagogue, uh, Jesus shows up this day in the Capernaum synagogue and starts laying down some teaching, right? And, you know, if you go to synagogue every week there, you you get used to it. And you probably have very much the same routines, just like any other uh, group of people would. And then all of a sudden this this, uh, Jesus, uh, who's that guy? I I think I know his family. His old man is a carpenter and... There he is, and, 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 and now he starts teaching, and people are blown away. Look, we had no idea we had this in our midst. The Bible says, 
Mark wants us to see that it's his authority, and he compares that to scribes. Scribes are not schlubs or something. They really are the originators of the synagogue system, and, and they're experts on the law of Moses, and they're experts on the writings of the rabbis on the law of Moses, and they would teach many pupils, and come around, and the scribe teaches. They're teachers. They're the authority there. And yet, somehow, in the way Jesus taught, he came across as above them. He came across as, when he taught, people were getting zapped in the heart. I know I've had that experience many times um, of hearing messages in church situations that I just heard, and they came and they went. And then every, and then, then, then I'd hear a message that just knocked me down. And, and it was as if God was speaking directly to me. And I knew then that the, that the word was being preached, the Holy Spirit was in it. I can only imagine that this is something like what's happening to these people. Jesus starts to teach. He doesn't refer to anyone else. He talks as if he knows this material really well, which he does. But he didn't have any pedigree, and that was what's astonishing especially He wasn't a scribe, he wasn't a Pharisee, he wasn't a Levite, that wasn't his tribe, therefore he wasn't a priest, not in their sense, (laughs) Um, he wasn't another sense that doesn't come into this sermon, Um, but you know it's hard to separate truth from the one who delivers it, isn't it? It's hard to separate truth from the mouth that speaks it. That's why the person often with the least amount of, of influence in a room may have the best answer but nobody listens to that person. But in this case, like, who's this guy? And they're, they're really blown away. Verse 23, and immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. So here you have a demon-possessed man. And here is, now when it says he cried out, the man is crying out, but the demon is speaking using his tongue and vocal cords. All right? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him saying, Be silent! Out! (laughs) And the unclean spirit convulsing his his host, the the carrier, (laughs) convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were amazed. So they questioned among himself, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even unclean spirits and they obey him? Let's look a little closer at some of this uh, before we go on. So we've got demonic activity. There's a lot of demonic activity in Israel in the time of Jesus. Um, some people think, well, it's, and that's probably the norm at all times. Demonic spirits possess people. To, and, and there is no way you or I can figure out the norm of the spiritual realm. So don't try. But it is obvious that when Jesus comes, a big part of his witness, or in other words, the testimony, the sign of who he is, is as he's there to face off Satan. From the beginning all the way to the end, he's facing off the powers of evil. And, and for some reason, under God's ordainment, <laughs> there are a lot of demon-possessed people in Israel when Jesus is there, and he uses them to show his own power and show who he is. The coming of man, in other words, means the decline of Satan's rule. Satan is the ruler of this world. Satan gets his way in general, except where God hedges him out. 
And, and that's been that way since Adam and Eve fell. In the garden, all human beings, all societies, all times, there is an evil force. People can criticize, you Christians really believe in demons? The question isn't whether I believe in them. The question is whether or not they're there. And without question, they are there. Human beings are disturbed and pushed and coerced and harassed and tempted and fight wars and kill and hate. And the, the, the devils are there. But when Jesus shows up, it's boom, boom. And there's a great authority to the way he handles that. In that day, there were exorcists. And their exorcists, the Jewish exorcists, were very much like the ones you see on TV or movies. If you watch those sort of movies, some of you don't. But they, they, would, they would have incantations. You know, they would have certain things they would say. And, uh, and they would talk to the demon, and the demon would talk to them, and they'd identify them and themselves saying, I am Jonah, somebody's son, and I'm here to declare, you know, by Yahweh. And, and they had these speeches, and they, they had to fight those demons. It's not that way with Jesus. Jesus does this. He doesn't say, I am Jesus, you must go. He doesn't say, I come to you in the name of Yahweh. He doesn't say, here's the incantations. He doesn't have to ask this dude a question. He says, get out. And that's it. That's authority. And this is, the, the people had something to compare that to in their head. They're like, I wish all our exorcists could do that. Note that the demon knows who Jesus is. Uh, he's fighting against him already. Like, what are you doing here? You know, I know who you are. You're the Holy One. God, I don't, Jesus says, don't say it. It must be some kind of blasphemous abomination for a demon to take a human made in the image of God and use his vocal cords and tongue to declare Jesus. So Jesus doesn't say, that's right, I am. Hope all you heard this demon. No, no. He says, shut up. Shut up. That's not for you to say. Out. Isaiah the prophet has already prophesied of who this man is. And of John the Baptist prophesied. The Spirit had prophesied. The Father had attested, saying, this is my beloved Son. But demons, no, sir. No, sir. You may not speak. And I can imagine this man, if you think about I mean, you get caught up in the story and you forget there's a man connected to this. <laughs> and what kind of a nightmare life did this man have being um, inhabited by a demon? How did he get a demon? We do not know. Uh, permission probably was granted in some way. <laughs> Sin he participated in. Um, but he's got it. And it's, and it's bugging him. And now, bam, liberated. This is the best day in church in his life imagine that boom and peace comes to him this is significant of the freedom jesus wants to bring to the whole world he's casting satan down he he has taken care of satan he's beating him and one day this earth will know a satan free existence there will be a new earth and this man is, is, is the significance of that. He's showing it. What a day at synagogue, right? <laughs> Not a good week to skip worship. You could, you know, imagine at, at work on Sunday, you know, guys like, hey, Neil. <laughs> he goes, what is it? 
Moisha, were you in synagogue yesterday? No, I missed you. No, I, I, I was at camp, and uh, my kid had soccer, and, you know, we, we have our priorities. Okay, I get that. You missed a good day. You missed a good day. I mean, we had, and, and then he, he tells him about Jesus, and the guy was like, whoa! I'm joking, but really, is there ever a good week to skip worship? God is at work when his people gather. How many times has it happened to you? I know it's happened to me, where you have a, a just tough week and your head is not in the right place, but doggone, it's time to go to church. And when you get there and you start to see brothers and sisters in Christ, your brain starts to breathe. And the Spirit of God is in the place in the sense that you're worshiping Him collectively like He taught us to. And the authoritative Word of God is preached. And then you walk out saying, I'm glad I went to church. (laughs) How many times do you skip church and don't even know what you're missing? You just shouldn't leave that money on the table, as they say, (laughs) if you know what I mean. Okay, verse 28. And at once, his fame spread everywhere, of course, throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee, and immediately, he... Jesus' ministry went viral. (laughs) He hit YouTube and went viral. Everybody knew what he was doing. And immediately, in all the surrounding, all the towns of Galilee, it's just spreading like fire, the word of what he had done. And immediately, he left the synagogue, and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew and James and John. So James and John, Simon and Andrew, um, the fishermen, he goes to their house of Simon and Andrew. Apparently, it's still the house of Simon and Andrew. Don't let that throw you off. It's only our wealth in modern times and the way we move that causes all of us to live alone or with just one person or in very tiny groups of family. It is not normal for the human race to live like that. That's why we're all anxious, lonely, and killing ourselves, perhaps. Um, the people used to live together, and, and so that wouldn't be odd that they would live together, that their, actually their mom lives with them, and, um, and James and John, they're probably used to Simon and Andrew's house. They're their buddies. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever, and immediately they told him about her. He came and took her by the hand, lifted her up. The fever left, and she began to serve him. So, so his fame is spreading. Uh, this, this, I have nothing to say about that miracle except, gee, is it, isn't it practical? <laughs> the matriarch of the house is down. He heals her, and she gets right to work in the kitchen. There's feminists today who... <laughs> I don't know what to do with that, feminist. I don't know. That's, it can't be wrong. Jesus did it. And it um, just happened. I'm sure she didn't mind. I'm sure she liked feeling better. Taking care of her boys. Boys, who have you brought home? Introduce me to your friend. <laughs> and then they go. So, But that house is about to be inundated. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. Should not you have seen this coming? <laughs> no. If Benny Hinn is really healing everyone who comes to the miracle show, then can we get Benny to stop by the local hospital and empty it? Right? If there's a guy down the road at the church down the road healing people, Right now, we should not be here because you must know someone who needs to be healed. Am I not right? And I would say, why are we here? I wouldn't preach. I'd say, sermon's over there. 
God sent a man to heal. Let's get our sick people. And so that's what happened. <laughs> He's healing folks. I mean, you think Obamacare is bad. Try medical care in the first century. (laughs) So they brought him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Obviously couldn't get in the house. Uh, And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Peter's house became a place of ministry. When Jesus takes over your life, your house should become a place where Jesus ministers. You should, it should be the place you minister to anyone living in your house. It should be a place of hospitality where you're bringing people into your house and Jesus meets them at your house. Your house should be a holy place because this is a very natural, normal place to be religious. Home. It is a cultural mistake that history has made that you can have a place. We worship in a place we call a sanctuary. And that's fine. I'm not against words like sanctuary. I'm not against using the word church for a building. Um, But it is not holier place than your living room. If Jesus goes to your living room and Jesus comes to where we're gathering, I don't see the difference. And so their house becomes a place of great worship and a place of great religious activity, if you will. God is at hand. So that's our text today. Isn't Jesus a remarkable person to look at? Um, Observations regarding the text. I have one, two, not too many. And then um, an important truth to share. And then we're going to try to get an application in. So I've got to kind of hurry along to get that in. But that's our text for today. First observation. Jesus is righteous and he is good. This text shows us Jesus is righteous you know, he's the good one. He's the good guy. He's the good cowboy. And good in all ways. In the righteous way, but in the kindness way. He's good. This guy with a demon, for all you know, he deserved a demon. No offense to him. But just because he's a victim doesn't mean he didn't bring it on himself. What does Jesus do? He's good. He throws, he throws. Look, if, if God were to show up at your house, <laughs> if God were to show up physically in your life, would what do you think he'd say to you? Would he be your friend? Or does something in you say, no, he'd be disgusted with me? I got a feeling the second comes into your mind. It's normal for our own sinful hearts to condemn us. It's normal for us, knowing we're sinners, to think if God showed up, he's going to have some bones to pick with me. And he won't like me. Well, when Jesus showed up, (laughs) he wasn't disgusted with those people. Were they disgusting in their sin? You bet they were. They're the same sinners like we got today. They needed the truth. He taught them. They were oppressed by Satan. He freed them. They were sick. He healed them. Is this not a good God? This is way better than anything Allah will do for you. Allah ain't this good. The monkey gods of the Hindus, forget it. (laughs) And don't even talk about the Aztec gods. They're good for nothing. So let's note that. Now I do think I've got to stop and and answer this question because it comes up. It's a logical question. 
and it should be addressed. What about today? If Jesus is so good, why do people get sick and die today? If Jesus is so good, and he is so good, that I don't have to defend him, but people ask these kinds of questions. Um, where's all my health? <laughs> um, just use your, use your head, family. <laughs> um, all the people he healed got sick and died, didn't they? Didn't they? They're not here now, so it wasn't a perma-heal. It was a one-time deal. Uh, make it last. <laughs> make it last. You, I healed Granny. Make it last, Granny, because you only got a couple more years. D- Jesus heals for a purpose is what I'm getting at. I'm not saying he will not heal you. Miraculously, even. He'll do what he'll do according to his purpose. But there's nowhere in the Bible a blanket promise that if you have sufficient faith, all your sicknesses will be taken away. Anyone who teaches that is lying to you. Lying to you. And you're saying, well, they look like good preachers. Who are you to make fun of them? I'm not making fun of you. them. I'm calling them liars. Much different. Making fun of them is talking about their nice hair and teeth, which I also do, but that's not what I'm talking about today. They're just lying. But second, I want to add that you will. That healing is coming your way. He rose from the dead. And because he identified with us on the cross, was our substitute, we get to identify with him in the resurrection. You will be healed. And and it's going to be awesome. The Bible says the difference between your body now and what your body will be like in the resurrection is the difference between a seed and the plant. So next time you look at a sunflower seed and look at a sunflower, think, I'm the seed, I'm going to be this. You're going to be healed. Don't worry about it. It's coming. But let me add another thing. What makes you think he doesn't heal you now? Have you ever been healed of anything? Have you ever been healed of a cold? No, it just kind of went away. Oh, that's not healing, right? (laughs) Had a cold, don't have a cold, that's not healing. You ever been healed of a cut? Oh, no, it just kind of closed up on its own. Oh, oh, God has nothing to do with the molecules in your arm. God is in control of every electron, every quark, if there is such a thing. <laughs> He's con- in control of everything. What we, just because he speeds up the process doesn't make it less of a miracle. If I have a cut and it heals over several days, we go, eh, that's normal. That's normal, that's amazing. Try doing that on your couch. Take a knife to the couch sofas and go, okay, I'll come back in a few days. Happens on now. If Jesus touched it, it happened in a second. You go miracle. Who says <laughs> it's Jesus works in the ordinary? You just don't give him credit. He multiplies fish all the time. <laughs> he fills fills the the fields with wheat. Miracles. But most important, I want us to catch that when we see the healing ministry of Jesus, this, this, this grace that seems to have no measure. He doesn't even ask. I'm sure he healed some people who are going to go to hell. <laughs> He's not even saying they're saved. <laughs> He's healing people left and right. The, this grace without measure that kind of just rolls out onto people's bodies, it's a sign. For them, it's life-changing. For us, it's a sign. And the Bible connects the two. The people, Mark connected the two. We see a man who teaches with authority. His authority is being on display by the fact, look at the healing he's doing. He must be teaching from God. 
No one has this kind of healing power. No one ever has. Others have healed, not like this guy. It also shows the character of God. God isn't the devil. The devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. God wants to set you free. The devil was tormenting that man. Jesus gave him peace. Now you know what God is like. So what, would, what does God want to do if he shows up in your life today? He wants to bless you. He wants to heal you. He wants to give you peace. That's what he wants for you. Relax. Breathe out. Oh, it feels better. Second observation about the text is Jesus has authority over all things good and evil. This, the text is screaming this, by the way. This is easy. This is easy. If, you're, if you want to interpret this text, you do not have to be a great scholar. Mark says it all over the place. Look, one who teaches with authority, better than the scribes. Look, this guy has authority. And he obviously has authority over Satan. He's in charge. He taught the Bible without deferring to others or acting like, I'm not sure if this is what it means. How could he do that? Why? Well, he wrote the Bible. He knows what it means. They're his words. He has authority over them. So when he speaks them and it, boom, hits you right in the heart and and disturbs you or undoes you or sets your mind or your heart on good fire. (laughs) You ever had your mind or your heart set on fire by the word of God? either when you were reading it or when you heard it preached. Has that ever happened to you? Every time Jesus teaches, that happens. To the listener, if you're listening. Why? He wrote it. Jesus said, I am the truth. Every human needs truth. Every human needs truth. The greatest crisis in our world today is we we have no philosophy of truth. There is no such thing as truth. So everything's wild out there. And so people don't feel happy. Because we must have truth in our innermost being. Well, Jesus says, he is the truth. He says, he is the light. John 1, 9 says this about our Savior. There was a true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. No human on the planet has any truth except that which originates from Christ, whether they know it or not. So when the light shows up and goes, bam, That's the authority. Who can say, yeah, Jesus, but have you thought of this? Right? If Jesus sat on a board meeting or a council meeting with you, and everyone gave their opinion, and Jesus gave his, no one would go, yeah, I hear Jesus' opinion, but I'm not sure he thought of this. And imagine him handling the word of God in front of you. And and he has authority to punish demons. Why? Because he made them. He made them. He made them. Let me show you in the scripture. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created. Everything in heaven and on earth. Visible things, things you can see, invisible things like demons. Whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. God created the angels who became the demons. Something, well, why would God create good angels that can become demons? My answer is, Who says it's your business to know the answer? It really don't matter why. He did it. And their destruction is sure. And it's not a fight. It's not a fight. You don't have to do a prayer walk. You don't have to pray a special binding prayer. Right? This is all this crap Christians make up. We don't pray a special binding prayer. I bind thee, Satan. Never pray I bind thee, Satan, because first you're praying to Satan. Second, what the heck are you talking about? It's just stupid language. Jesus don't do any of that anyway. 
He just like, I'm charged. Get out and shut up on the way. <laughs> Demons know their destruction is sure. The Bible even says hell, the lake of fire was made for them to torment them. They're not there yet. They will be, and so will some people, unfortunately. Jesus has authority over them. He has authority over our health. Why? He's the author of life. Life comes from him. Health comes from him. Sickness is a result of sin. Death is a result of sin. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus is the author of life. John 5 says this, for as the father, this Jesus talking, as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life. The baby is conceived in the womb. Who put it there? Jesus. Well, but no scientists, they went in with a test tube and they did it. No, they didn't. They could put an egg and a sperm together, but they can't make it alive. Jesus said, okay. (laughs) And he takes it away, but he's also the giver. It doesn't come from anywhere else. And this is all life, your plant, plant life, animal life. Did you make it? Did a farmer make it? Did a zookeeper make it? No. Jesus is the author. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, he's granted to the Son to have life in himself. The soul that sins must die, the Bible says. Well, I got a soul that sins. So do you. And, that, and the soul is greater than the body. So the body's going to go too. I'm a goner except Jesus went to a cross that I could have life. He gave his living, sinless body and died. The soul that didn't sin, his body died and my sins were taken away. And then, what? Well, nothing. Doesn't mean I'm alive again, does it? Just means my sins, I'm off the hook. I'm still dead. Except he can give me life. Strange language to talk like that. I was still dead, but he gave me life. Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great level with which he loved you, Mike, made you alive. Jesus makes alive. He has the authority to forgive sins. No one else does. No one else can say, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. Your... No. Your sins are forgiven, your sins <laughs> But he can. No one else can. People say, you can't judge me. In a sense, they're right. Only Jesus determines who will ultimately pay for their sins and who will not. He has the authority to forgive. He has the authority to raise from the dead. He raised himself from the dead. He will raise ourselves from the dead. If you want something done in life, one of the best lessons I ever learned, and I learned it working for a drugstore company, and I was going to, I was going to try to get something done, and I said, I'm going to go talk to my supervisor here. And, and the guy said, don't talk to him. Why? Because this is bigger than that. Go to the vice president. Why? Because if he says it, the supervisor will say yes. I said, okay, that's good. That's good. And I never forgot that lesson, and I've tried to practice it. If you want to get something done, talk to the person in authority. Quit yelling at the lady on the phone. She doesn't have the power to take off the charge. <laughs> get to the person with the power. Quit picking on the cashier. She doesn't have the authority. Get the manager over here. You want forgiveness of sins? Don't waste your time talking to saints or false god 
or even Jesus' mother. Don't waste your time trying to be good or making sure your mother says you're okay. Go right to the top. Jesus, you have the authority to make me clean, will you? And he'll say, what? Yes. So, those are the two observations I want to make. I want to give you an important truth from the grander picture of Scripture because I'm dealing with authority now, and that's this. Jesus shares his authority with those who know him. Now, he shares it the way he wants to, right? If the boss going out of town, uh, you, you're the boss this week, okay? You got one week to be the boss. That's it. That's kind of like that. Jesus shares his authority the way he wants. In one example, in his ministry, he, he takes 72 of his followers. It's long after this. And he says, I want you guys to go out to all the towns in Israel, and I want you to proclaim me, and I'm going to give you the power, the authority to cast out demons and heal people. He just gave it to them. Here, try this trick on for size. They couldn't have it forever, but they had it then. He said, behold, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. But they warned him, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So here you have men who could not cast out demons before. Now they can. They're like, wow. And he's like, don't wow that. Isn't, God, isn't he amazing? Jesus warns his followers, don't get drunk with power. This is why all Christians shouldn't want to be rich. We just shouldn't. Money's power over people. That's what it is. Money buys humans because money is based on labor. So if you've got a lot of money, you can hire people to do a lot of things. You have a lot of influence. Who says you're ready for that? <laughs> uh, I'm not. I don't want to be, a mil- oh, I want to be a millionaire, but it's probably a bad idea. <laughs> Jesus, don't get drunk with power. You're going to live forever. Rejoice because life is better than being in charge. Oh, what a great lesson. It goes against the grain of everything we learn on earth. We want to have the sea on our jersey. You don't need the sea. If you get the sea, fine. Don't even get happy about it. In the age to come, though, Jesus is going to keep sharing his authority. He tells the 12 apostles, don't count Judas in that one, they're going to sit on 12 thrones. That's shared authority. In the kingdom to come, he's going to set some people, you I put over 10 cities, you over 5 cities. In the millennial kingdom, I'm thinking he's talking about, what am I going to be over? I don't know, I'll take it. 25 dogs, good. Whatever. But he will share his authority. But even better, and this is something I cannot explain. I think this falls into the realm of things that has not entered our mind. It's too good. God has not revealed to us what this means. But if you were, and you can write this down, I'm not going to read it. If you were to look at 2 Timothy 2.12 or Revelation 26, if you are writing that down, I said it too fast, 2 Timothy 2.12 or Revelation 26, it says you and I will reign with him in glory. What does that mean? Your preacher doesn't know it's so far above my pay grade but it is shared authority of some kind he even shares authority with unbelievers for a limited time all authority are from heaven but the most important authority that he shares that should matter to you and I today 
is the authority he shares with believers in order to complete his work. You get your worship pastors or leaders up here. All four campuses of Harvest has someone who will show up and lead worship. If they think they're just song leaders, they're underestimating why they're there. They've been given authority by Jesus to direct people to him. You know, you have teachers who teach the children. (laughs) They've been given authority by God. Here's how Jesus shares authority. This is an often looked at text. We'll keep looking at it forever, but for now, Jesus said to them, these are his last words according to Matthew. Doesn't mean they are his last words. The last one's Matthew recorded. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now here is the man Christ Jesus. He's risen from the dead and he says this. Jesus has all authority already because he's God. But in his human nature, somehow by virtue of dying and raising from the dead, he bought some other kind of authority in his humanity. That's the best I can do with that. He already is an authority of everything. But now as risen from the dead, having defeated Satan, having defeated sin, had made it a way that people can be forgiven of sins. He says, all authority is now mine, therefore you. And now there's a therefore. Because he has authority, I want you to do something. What? Make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of every nation. You're going to go to wherever they are. You're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you're going to teach them to not know things, but to do things. You're going to teach them to do what I told you to do. And I'll be with you. Jesus is the only man who's ascended into heaven bodily. And you say, well, what about Elijah? Elijah's body can't handle heaven. So yeah, he ascended and the body was gone but he has to have a glorified body, which he'll get one day. Jesus, the Bible says, the firstborn from the dead. It means there's going to be a lot of the rest. Our, your spirit goes to heaven when you die, but not your body. It goes to Miracle Grow land. <laughs> and it helps the earth turn green, if, unless it's buried properly. And <laughs> so bury it properly. Or don't. I don't know. But he's a man who went to heaven. He's God who came from heaven. Both are true of him. And as a man and as God, he says, I have the authority to give out the Holy Spirit. I have the authority to forgive anyone's sins based on what I did on that cross. I have the authority to raise the dead. I'm gonna share that authority with you people. And he said it to the apostles, but that command goes all the way to the end of the age. So the apostles are gone. So he's saying it to you, believers. I have authority I'm going to share it with you. To be saved is not simply to be saved and receive. You have received a responsibility. Did you know that? Did you know you are responsible now? But you're not given responsibility without authority. Responsibility without authority doesn't make sense. You can't do your job. You have the authority to tell people their sins are forgiven. Did you know that? Now, not any way you want. Song two, song two, your sins are forgiven. You know, give me some money, sins are forgiven. Based on the preaching of Jesus dying and raising from the dead for sins, based on the offer of salvation to all and faith, to those who receive, you can say, your sins are forgiven. You can say, you will raise from the dead. 
You can say the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And I have the authority. You have the authority to go anywhere and teach anyone. And because he has authority, he wants you to do that. In other words, since God has made a way for man to be not only forgiven of sins, but glorified, freed from all troubles, let's get this party started and fill it up. Do you see? Evangelism and and teaching and leading by example and taking people by the hand is the way... You do the best thing on earth. You take, you say, well, I don't want to do evangelism or teach, but that's not my job. Regardless of the disobedience that's inherent in that, look at the stupidity of it. You are able to bring the message that sets people free, and you won't. People are dying all around you. They've been told the lie that truth isn't truth. So when someone says to them, well, you can be a man or a woman if you want, they're defenseless. They're like, okay. And they're wandering off into foolishness, killing themselves with this world's thinking, and you're standing there going, what do I care? How stupid is that? No, no. You have a job. You're a disciple maker. In other words, Jesus said to those guys, come be fisher of men. <laughs> you, you're supposed to do the same thing. You're supposed to get some people and say, come on, I'm going to show you how to fish for men. <laughs> how are we going to do it? We're going to go to somebody's house. We're going to talk to them about Jesus and show them a little love. We're going to heal them if, if the Spirit lets us, but it don't matter. <laughs> the miracle will be telling them the gospel. And let me teach you how to behave like Jesus, because I know you love him, but you act like a pagan. <laughs> Stop acting like a pagan. Forgive those people. Love these people. Clean up your act. God has given you the authority to be saved, to do good on this earth, to declare the good news about Jesus, and to teach others how to follow him. Are you exercising that authority? So much of what we aim for as a church is to train and equip you. We have not been perfect at that as church leaders. I, I think that will always be true. But that's never an excuse for us not to work harder. <laughs> why have a men's retreat? Why waste your time with a men's retreat? Why, why twist arms and beg and print t-shirts trying to get everyone to go to a men's retreat? Well, it's, it's called Fishers of Men. Some will show up, some won't. Okay. For those who show up, we want to make you Fishers of Men. Why do moms for moms? <laughs> Why do crosstalk? Why do divorce care? Why do any of this stuff? Why do community groups? Every single thing is a goal to equip. But with, if all those programs are taken away, you still have the authority to make disciples. This is, this is the focus uh, for the rest of the time of your life as far as what work to do. How can I make more disciples? How can I take people who are Christians and help them grow in their observation of Christ? How can I take people who don't know Jesus and inform them of what they can know so they can be saved? 
There's a thousand ways to do it, but all of them are simple. No harder than going to a friend to tell them about the new ice cream place you found. Come taste a flavor at this place that I had never been. You went there? Yeah, I went there. How was the ice cream? Out of this world. Come with me. You try it. Okay, now what do you think? You're right, it is out of this world. That's how you make disciples. (laughs) At least that's how you start. Your testimony, it's not ice cream, it's Jesus. Come, see a man who changed my life. He changed your life? I gotta tell you, he blew my mind. Well, how'd he blow your mind? Well, you know what a loser I am. He loved me. Changed my world. Come see him. How? Well, why don't we have a Bible study? Why don't you come to my church? That's it. It's logic. It's it's simple. I guess my goal, church, is to inform you of your responsibility and your authority to do it. The how-to is not going to fit in this sermon. But the question is, do you want to do it? Will you commit today to be a maker of disciples? Will you commit to be a fisher of men and women and little children? Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.